As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Harm, our second VanCast of the week. We did a live room... Drance bumped you, right? Because normally we do the show on Monday whenever possible. And now that there's no NHL games for the Canucks, it's definitely possible. But Drance reflexed, right? And uh, he said, no, uh, we're, we're doing the live room Monday after the uh, uh, management and coaching discussion. So we had to wait until Wednesday, which generally means the best for last. I, I hope you're okay with waiting. Uh, well, it's my punishment for jumping early in the queue on, on Monday, forgetting how press conferences work and, uh, and, uh, and just... I, like asking my questions instead of uh, oops was, so yeah, let's, uh, let's wait for the mic let's paint the picture let's paint the picture for the VIPs you know we're about probably 20 minutes into the press conference right so it's not like harm has needed time to figure out the protocol here so there's a a guy with a boom mic and he walked you know he waits for you to kind of wave at him and uh, so he can get your questions recorded and generally people ask two questions and arms waiting his turn but then he, he asks and then later on he just decides to jump back in uh, where who was it patrick johnson was waiting for the mic or somebody else was waiting for the mic and all of a sudden harm just jumped in and went with it so you know you are you are no longer a young aspiring member of the local media like you were just the man that you could just say nope like you were you'd literally have ben kuzma status that would be a kuz thing and you just did a kuz thing no i i i, I really felt bad because i um i swear i i i thought i saw some like I, th- I thought i saw people jumping in without like i guess i just wasn't paying close enough attention before sort of waving to the boom mic so i figured oh i guess it's just more of an of an open thing it's too used to scrums, man. I uh, I'm too used to scrums. I'm scarred from all the scrums in the past where you wait and you wait and you wait to ask your question, and then and then I'm just like, oh, it's too late for me to ask whatever I needed to. Um, <laughs> so it, I I too I went too far in, in the other um in the other direction, but yeah, now now I remember rookie mistake. Yeah, and we do get to, to uh, dive back into that a little bit here because I do want to get your thoughts on a number of areas. Also in the athletic online edition. You've also done your report cards, so we will talk a little bit about that. I wanted to lead with Leafs and Oilers losing game one, uh, but you know, I guess I guess we'll wait on that. You know, I, our producer, Jeff Demet is just shaking his head, and you know, Drancer is probably in mourning right now, but we will get to that, and what we're really excited about is Ryan Johnson is going to join us a little bit later today. He, of course, is the general manager of the Abbotsford Canucks, and uh, you know, has an ever-increasing portfolio within the Canucks organization, and the Canucks begin the Abbotsford Canucks begin their first round playoff series against Bakersfield tonight at the Abbotsford Center. Uh, games two and three will be Wednesday and Sunday. Again, game three, if that's needed. Last year, this team was swept by Bakersfield. They're obviously hoping for a better outcome. They were three and one against Bakersfield this year during the regular season. So we'll see if that 
translates to anything in the playoffs, but home ice generally means you've had the better season and uh, might have more expectations going into this. So we're looking forward to that conversation with Ryan. And uh, at some point, yes, there will be lessons on microphone etiquette uh, in press conferences. One thing I've learned about Canuck Twitter in all of this is that Canucks Twitter really loves it when you go hard at management and potentially ownership. Every coaching change when we get a chance to talk to the owner, which seems to have been more frequently in the, in the last couple of years, but they certainly hate it when you don't, when you say anything negative or put players in an uncomfortable position, right? Because far be it for me to ask JT Miller and Elias Pettersson about their relationship. Now, everybody took that as, as negative and a shot. The, the reality is, is those were actual talking points all season. You know, if you remember the, uh, the sit down, uh, beachside with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick, uh, during the all-star break, Pedersen talked about the relationship not being perfect. Other times during the season, um, JT Miller said the same that, you know, we, we got, we've got things to work on and, and so on. So I thought it'd be interesting to get their response together. No, and, and if you, if you saw the way I asked the question, I did ask it and kind of let it in a way for them to say how much better it's gotten. Do you know what I mean? Like it, this, this, the question, while it was awkward because the two of them were together and there had to be a premise behind it, it wasn't, there was no expectation that one would take a shot at the other, right? Like that's silly. And the fact that Pedersen said great and uh, Miller wanted it kind of clarified just because he was jabbing, right? And bobbing and weaving that everybody on Canucks Twitter decided this was cringy and this was me trying to stir shit for clicks, which it wasn't, right? I just thought it was a unique opportunity to get the two of them together. We don't get that in the locker room setting. And again, the question was framed in a way that would allow them to spin it forward positively, which they were going to do anyway, right? No one was expecting to stir the shit. But of course, that percentage of Canuck Twitter, which are idiots and most of whom have been muted on my feed, come back with how cringy and you should retire and how dare you ask such a question because they want you to shit on management they just want to protect their little players well yeah i mean i thought it was a fair question and, and like you said it was an environment for them to be able to to sort of emphasize how much it's improved and sort of put the put the narrative to bed right and then and that's exactly what's happened in the in, in the aftermath of that like now now you've gotten the clarity now you've gotten the clarity and um yeah, I mean, I didn't have a problem with uh, with the question at all, and um, and again, now the narrative's in in the bed. Yeah, nor, nor did actual journalists. But hey, um, let's let's talk a bit about their relationship real quick. Is and we're going to get into management talk more be, just because Monday was more recent. How much do you think the removal of Bo Horvat? And you know me, I'm a Bo Horvat fan, so this is not me saying Horvat was the problem. And certainly, with the Canucks' success, people are now taking it as Horvat was the problem. And certainly, that any logical person would know the other reasons for their success, primarily schedule and goaltending. Uh, and certainly, the structure has been better. But any thought that Horvat was a problem is insanity. But Horvat was a buffer, right? Now, this is just opinion, right? Now we're just, we're talking opinion, so. How much do you think removing that buffer who happened to wear the C and happened to be the elder statesman in the organization, even though he's not that old, but has certainly been here the longest. How much do you think, you know, and, and, and I don't want to frame it that Petey didn't like Miller and Petey went to Bo to say, I don't like what he's doing, do something. Or Miller went to uh, Bo and said, I don't like what Forty's doing, go do something. I'm not suggesting that that's how things were playing out. But nonetheless, one was designated the leader. So removing said designated leader, how do you think it impacted the relationship between uh, between Miller and Patterson, if at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know definitively, but my initial guess would be or, or thought would be, you know, I didn't necessarily think that it would have a ha have a significant uh, impact. I just think it's a case where, like Miller said, you enter enter especially earlier in their in their Canucks careers you enter in an environment and they're just opposite personalities right Pedersen's quieter quieter more reserved JT is obviously a lot more abrasive in your face um high energy and um and, and like JT said they're they're nothing alike right and so it, it makes sense in, in that uh um, capacity why it would take sort of time for them to develop comfort with each other develop um that uh positive working relationship it's also not not everybody needs to be best friends on a team, right? As long as as long as everybody's pulling on the same rope, which they clearly are now, uh, that's that's really all that um, that matters. And we know from 
I mean, e- even on cup winning teams, not, not, not everybody is, um, is best friends and hanging out away from the rank. And that's totally fine. And I think they've obviously gotten to a point now where uh, they feel a lot, a lot more comfortable with, with each other. And, and that's great. And I, I do think though, that having to deal with each other more in the top dog capacity. And certainly, you know, we know that Pedersen and Hughes have always been the, the best two players in the team in the last couple of years, right? And and Miller's certainly been good and Horvat was great this year. And But having Horvat removed from the leadership group and now they've all got to be the central focus of it because now there is no C. There's a bunch of A's and potentially at some point down the road, the the C will be decided amongst those three. But I, I do think that it, it changes the dynamic that now not everybody can look at Bo, right? Figuratively, literally, and optically, it it's now they're all looking at you and it does change the dynamic a little bit. And, you know, it's not that they've got to talk more or whatever, but now it's kind of on them. Leadership is now on them a little bit more because we certainly know when Travis Green attempted to give leadership to Pedersen and Hughes two years earlier, they weren't ready and it didn't go well. And now they were ready for a bit more and Miller was ready for a bit more. And, and maybe at that point, things started to blend a little better. Opinion speculation not reporting so just to just so uh again you know we'll see but it, it certainly seemed uh that as they were having a little more success in all of it that um there just was a little bit uh better of a mesh going forward uh let's talk a bit about some of the other things that that came out of that presser and one was um no buyouts uh, you know for me that was one of my biggest takeaways because early in the year we did hear from jim rutherford that that was the expectation uh, I've certainly reported for for a number of weeks now that I did not expect a buyout in the Oliver Ekman Larson situation, but now Patrick Alvin reiterated he's not expecting any buyouts. Surprised? Well, I mean, I, a little bit in terms of like relative to obviously what we heard from Rutherford in January, for example, where he said that would be a po- a possibility to turn to if they uh, didn't sort of have an have alternative uh, avenues to clear cap space, especially since they seem to have more of uh, of a focus and emphasis on next season. And certainly in the past, they haven't they haven't had um, they they haven't worried about or worried about sort of adding dead cap or, or long term consequences of, of cap decisions if it benefits them in the short term. And having said that. I I honestly prefer that they do not buy guys like OEL out because like Alvin alluded to, you're just creating pain down the line in the years where you're actually hoping that if things go well, you'd be competing for a Stanley Cup. Like that to me is sort of nonsensical. In the case of OEL, for sure, you buy him out, you get $7 million in cap space this offseason, that could help you significantly add another top four defender, make a run for the playoffs. But what's the point? You're not going... Not competing for the cup next year. Next year is supposed to be a building season to hopefully make the playoffs and and just start to get the trajectory headed in the right direction. This is a, this is going to be a multi year process. It's not going to be an overnight fix. And while you get the immediate relief, again, you're going to harm yourself down the road. So it is, in my opinion, better for them not to buy guys out. But of course, the consequence of that is you're going to have less wiggle room to work with. And honestly, hearing Alvin speak on Monday, he sounded like a general manager that was realistic about the uh, about the limited flexibility he has about, for instance, in discussing the roster needs, he only picked out third line center, right? And, and when the topic of the blue line came, came up, he sort of referenced all the guys in Abbotsford and Johansson and and all all that's all of the internal options that that they have it wasn't as if he name checked like you know three four different needs that he wanted to fix on the roster he even shot down sort of signing a veteran back of goaltender so mm-hmm. to me that signals a general manager who understands that okay we're not going to have a lot of cap flexibility to work with we may not you know we'd like to improve the back end um, and center ice, but realistically, we may only be able to make one sort of big splash there. And it's and to me, it sounded like a general manager who's learned a lot from how difficult it was to move salary last offseason and um, is calibrating roster upgrade expectations, at least in terms of cap expenditure accordingly. Yeah, you're 100% right, because he also framed it that way as it related to buyouts saying, I don't want to be feeling the effects of those 
of that pain when we become contenders. So it's not like let's just get into the playoffs and anything can happen, right? So there is a little bit of a long-term approach, which is good. I mean, it's not, you know, the, the full-on rebuild approach that maybe some of us would, would like to see, but within the context of what they've said, it does make sense that he's not jumping the gun to try to do a ton more than he should this year. And you're right. Um, center is where they're going to go. I think beyond that, the band is going to be back together. Now, if there's a trade that makes sense on the uh, Garland or Besser files, do I think he would make it? I do, but you know, he still talks about hockey trades and too much of that is salary and salary out, which wouldn't necessarily help the group because there's not a lot of term left on a Besser deal. Right. So well, it might actually like the one, the one possibility that, um, you may look to do is sure it may be outright difficult to just you know clear the full freight of you know a Besser Garland, but could you structure deals where with one of those guys you then acquire let's say a defenseman who makes a similar amount of money, and in that case it's not that you're clearing cap space, but that you're reallocating it to the back end. Does that make sense? Uh, no, for sure. Uh, it, it does. You know, the one interesting piece I'm waiting to see is what happens with Tyler Myers when that $5 million gets paid, right? Um, that it doesn't necessarily affect them from a, from a cap perspective, but it could just in terms of what this looks like. Because if you get, you know, that $5 million is going on their cap regardless, right? So I'm curious to see if they move the player and turn things into a different direction once that happens. Uh, we'll see about that. But, you know, it, it sounds like we, we heard from Besser who doesn't want to be traded, right? And we, we knew he did previously, right? And and again, we've always framed this as, this isn't a hard ask, I hate it here. This is a, hey, if it works out, a change of scenery might not be a bad thing. Uh, my agent is now allowed to talk and, you know, whatever. And it didn't work out. Now he views the fact, and we know that when the deadline happened, you know, he's, he acknowledged that for the first time in his career, he's felt like this year could be real. Right. So we do know because there were some people out there that just weren't willing to accept the fact that he would welcome a trade right at that time of year. And now he even said that it was a blessing in disguise that it didn't happen right in that context. But just seeing how the organization views um, him and, and his finish to the year is a positive. And for all the talk about summer, I was interested to see just kind of how much Besser got singled out in that conversation. In sort of what conversation? Well, like with management, there that there was an implication about he him needing to sacrifice a summer, and certainly, you know that that's a that's a suggestion, an implication that needs to work harder this summer, right? And an acknowledgement that he's been through a lot previously, but whether that's his speed and skating and fitness and all of those things kind of go into that, there there seemed to be that in the implication that he needs to give us more this summer. Yeah, and definitely in terms of changing his offseason preparation, right? He, um, I think part of his getting back up to speed in the offseason to sort of prepare for the regular season is, um, uh, of course, playing in uh, the Beauty League, which, um, which is, you know, it's not really an intense, fast skating level of hockey, right? And sure, it's good to be on the ice. A lot of NHL players participate in that, in, in that environment. Guys who are local, uh, Nate Schmidt, for example, uh, comes to mind. So it's not, you know, it, it's not as if it's a joke to be playing in that league or anything. There are, there are benefits to being on the ice, feeling, feeling the puck, but for a player like Besser, whose foot speed is, um, is more sort of always the concern in terms of getting him back up to, to playing, uh, his best level of hockey once he arrives at training camp and preseason and when the games count. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not the best um, environment for him to be a part of, um, and maybe maybe it's not even sort of not playing in that league. But if you're playing in that league, that you can't just look at that as oh, that's my preparation. If you're playing in that, you still got to put a lot of extra work into your skating, conditioning, all of those uh, other areas that don't get tested as much um, in some of those you know obviously pickup style uh, pickup style games. So yeah, I, I think management was right in terms of. For him to really improve, we need to sort of see, I think, um, the best the best version of Besser, even in terms of, I, I remember, I can't remember, you know, what, exa what exact year it was, but do you recall the year that he came back and was, was a little bit too, was it a sophomore year where he came back yeah, and he was a little season. bit too big? It yeah. was jacked, right? And it wasn't like a, oh, he, he's too big and he's out of shape, but it was like a, he's jacked. He has too, too much muscle and that's slowing him down a little bit. Uh, so it, it's been, you know, trial and error in terms of figuring out 
what is the 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 best approach and and it's critical for Besser because for him that extra half step if he can create that with separating himself that gives him so many more opportunities to get the puck off in the slot uh, down the stretch he did seem to have that extra half step that extra level of uh, dynamic ability to be able to skate the puck make plays and that always makes a world of a difference with his game so whatever you know working with the organization if it's changing up his uh, training style changing up what he does in the gym whatever it is to give him that extra 5 5% even in terms of his quickness when he comes if and when he comes back uh, to training camp next season if if the Canucks don't end up moving his contract that's going to be um absolutely critical and and clearly clearly the message has been uh, communicated to him Besser gets a C minus on Harmon's final grades for the 2022-2023 season. Good article in The Athletic. Uh, take us through uh, what stands out to you as we close out this segment here before we get to Ryan Johnson. Yeah, and I should clarify with Besser. A lot of people will be like, oh, he's only two points off his uh, career high or, or, or whatever it was. YC minus. Well, he actually had, um, unfortunately, some of the worst defensive results of um, uh, of all Canucks forwards, right? We've harped on JT Miller a lot, especially in the first half, for not always being up to par in that capacity. Uh, Miller or uh, Besser's defensive results in terms of goals against shots against scoring chances against were uh, even worse. And when you look at um, how much that Miller line struggled initially, well, Besser was on that line too. And, and he bears some of that responsibility for how much that line uh, struggled compared to the year previous where under Bruce, especially in that second half, they were so dominant in being able to control the wall. So that's um, sort of the exp- uh, explanation there. Uh, outside of that, I mean, we failed Myers and, and Ekman Larson. Um, I don't think that uh, should be too much of a too much of a hot take, considering the the vast level of of drop off we we saw. And um, for this for this Canucks team to be effective next season, they you know OEL doesn't need to come back and be as good as he was, let's say, uh, in his first season as a Canuck. But he's he's still got to be at least competent, and um, and the hope has to be that hopefully playing with a better partner like Philip Peronik, maybe that can help him sort of uh, take take a bit of a step uh, in, in a bounce back type of way next season. Yeah, and we did talk to OEL uh, myself and Patrick Johnson on Saturday after the player avail, just kind of off to the side, and you know he he did say that he just was not in position at the start of the season. His basically that his offseason was a virtual write off, right? Because he was coming off the broken foot at the world championships and it affected his training to such a degree that when he came in last year, he could skate forward and backwards fine, but any change of direction, having to pivot and do all of those things was a real problem for him. And it showed every time he, you know, tried to defend one on one and someone tried to go wide on him, he just simply couldn't pivot and turn. So we will see if we see a level of bounce back. I mean, it can't be worse than it was this year before the injury, right? I do believe there is a little more to give. Now, it's certainly not going to be uh, $7 million worth, uh, but it can be better than it was last year. And whether or not he winds up as the number two left shot D or the number three left shot D, if they can uh, make some moves there, we'll see. But, you know, and, and you're right. I mean, Philip Rona carrying the puck and doing some things might help him on a second pair. And I certainly would prefer to see that than than seeing Ronick with Hughes. But uh, if you want to get more on harms grades, check out The Athletic. It's all there. It's great stuff. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, Ryan Johnson, GM of the Abbotsford Canucks, will join us as they get set for their opening round playoff series. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back. Now joined by the man of the hour, the the GM of the 
Abbotsford Canucks. And look, Ryan Johnson, thank you so much for joining us, first of all. And just how excited are you? Because you watched the first two rounds or the first two nights of the NHL playoffs. And certainly there's a lot of angst in Vancouver about no playoffs. But you have them in Abbotsford and can treat all of us. Yeah, no, I'm extremely excited. It's been a few days of jitters and get things in place. But I'm excited for our coaches and our players who have done an excellent job of through a lot of adversity this season. And I'm excited for our community, uh, our fans out there. That that I really it was important for me this season to uh, give our, our our fans an opportunity to watch us play playoff hockey at the Abbotsford Center. Uh, we were able to do that with with a lot of challenges in place, and, and just uh, excited to get going tonight. Let's talk about how this matchup has now changed because you guys got swept a year ago by Bakersfield, and now you're hosting this, and just how much that changes. You guys didn't face them a lot during the regular season, but just the mindset and the confidence level going into this first round series this time around. Well, we uh, we've had quite a bit of turnover in our group. I think they're you know the the nucleus of their group is pretty similar, so they've got they've got a lot of uh, experience there. I think we're going to re- rely not so much on experience, but uh, the pace that we play with, the passion that we play with, and the fight that uh, these players have shown all season, uh, they just scrap and claw constantly. And anybody who watched that series against Calgary last week, uh, it was playoff hockey, and, and our guys rose to the occasion. And I'm excited for them to have the opportunity to, to do that again tonight against a very good Bakersfield team. RJ, obviously over the, over the last couple of seasons, um, the organization's been able to move this farm team to Abbotsford. And I'm curious what advantages you've seen for that from a player development standpoint. I'm even thinking of instances when you have uh, players like Nils Hoaglander and, and Vasily Podkolzin getting sent down. I'm sure for them, the fact that it's, you know, the farm team is just in Abbotsford and, and they don't have to move all the way across the continent to Utica. I'm sure that makes the process a lot easier. And, and especially for those guys, you know, being able to have more of a comfort factor, uh, you know, little things like, you know, when the team may, may have been in Utica, management might only see you once uh, once a year in person because it's so far compared to Abbotsford. Maybe, um, you know, you, you feel like you have more resources, more eyes on you. I'm curious what advantages you've seen just uh, in the last couple of years here. Well, we've been able to, uh, you said it, to, to be able to use all our resources um, that we have in the organization and to readily move them kind of back and forth between Abbotsford and Vancouver um, has been excellent. And, and our players have responded uh, really well from that. And knowing that um, the big brother is just down the road. I think there's there also... Uh, a sense of accountability and, and, and guys having to pull their weight in Vancouver. And if not, as you've seen at times this year, we've been able to shuttle guys down the road to get the reps, to get the puck touches. Um, and I think one of the biggest advantages uh, is for our fan base and our community to, to really, I feel we're a, a community owned team out there. And, and for, uh, as opposed to Utica, where they just heard about players or fans, uh, they watch this develop and they see it. They see the process right in front of them. And then they see a player playing at the Abbotsford Center on a Friday night, Saturday night. Uh, it's a really cool experience for them. And, and and they've really had the opportunity to take ownership in that process, which is what we want. Philip Johansson is obviously coming over uh, after a great year in the SHL. It's, it's a right shot prospect, obviously, that gets uh, fans intrigued and, and excited. I'm curious what excites you about uh, him as a player and, and what are you expecting from him down the stretch here, sort of acclimating himself uh, with the North American game? Yeah, really excited about him. Uh, obviously, he skates well. He moves pucks. He's a great kid, uh, high compete level. Um, had a great season over there in the SHL. Uh, we, we were able to get him over here, practiced Monday and Tuesday with the team for the first time. And obviously, a lot of change the the the, the uh, ice size, uh, a whole new team, systems. And so uh, I think both both sides agreed, let's not throw him into a fire right away here, give him a chance to get his feet wet, be around the coaches, get in some practices. And But, uh, you know, I've told him to, to prepare to be game ready because we'd like to get him in. And he admittedly also knows that these guys have, have fought together for eight months and to just parachute in and jump into a game one. I think he's excited just to, to watch and see uh, a game as well. But but we're, we're preparing him with the main group as if at some point he's going to play here. And I'll be excited to, to get him up and going. 
want to ask you about Vasily Podkolzin. So there was a thought originally when we talked to Patrick Alvin on Monday that he had a medical appointment and the hope is that they were going to be able to get him ready to play for you in this series. Now it sounds like he's not going to be available at all in this series. And there's always kind of been a debate about his desire to, to play games in Abbotsford, whether it was a year ago when he got dropped in late or this year where he spent, you know, the bulk of his time there before being recalled. So a, from a health perspective, and B, from a desire perspective, what can you tell us about Vasily Podkolzin potentially playing for Abbotsford in these playoffs? Well, at this point, he's, you know, he, the, the health is, is an issue. Um, I think we're just going to take it kind of day to day here and see where that goes. Uh, um, I know when Vasily came down originally this season, uh, was very respectful to the AHL as a league and, and realized i think last year how how difficult the league it is um and so he came down with a fantastic attitude and worked on the things that we wanted to work with him to at the end of the day to to make him a better player at the nhl level uh got a chance to go up and play um and and unfortunately get hurt but uh, i i don't question the desire of him uh I, i do believe that if he was healthy he would likely be uh, in the fire and go out starting things off in game one with us tonight. In saying that, uh, you know, it's hard, uh, as he did last year, just to drop in for game one. Uh, we made the decision not to uh, uh, put Phil DiGiuseppe on waivers and, and have him come down and join, and, and there's a purpose to that. Uh, I want to dance with the, the ones that brought us here. I want the guys that fought, scrap, and clawed all year to get us to this point. I want the them. I want them to have the opportunity to to go and compete tonight uh, and moving forward. And when you you parachute guys in, it's hard on the group. That means two guys that have been here and battling uh, come out of the lineup. It usually means some of your young prospects that you've been depending on and, and giving an opportunity to to be in this fire playoff fire, which is development one hundred and one for these guys. Uh, to me, I'm, I'm happy with the group we got stepping on the ice tonight. If Vasily ends up becoming uh, an option uh, as the injury heals up, we'll address it at that time. But, but right now, I'm happy with the group that's going to step on the ice tonight. What about some of the defensemen? Because you guys had some, some guys on the back end that were key to your success in the early stages of the season, but then wound up spending extended time in Vancouver. Some of them wound up getting banged up late in the year. So what can you tell us about those guys, the Willannons, the Breezebois, and, and so many of the others that did get a chance late in the season to play in Vancouver? What can we expect to see from them? Well, it was great for, for those guys to, to not just come up and play, but have an impact and felt they, they made us a better team in Vancouver. Um, all of them move pucks well, compete. Uh, I think one thing Rick Tockett was really impressed with was the detail of, of all those guys when they came up. Of uh, He felt like they were ready-made and, and, and uh, did a heck of a job, all of them. And so... Uh, Breeze will obviously uh, had the injury to finish off, and so did Willannon and Juleson. Uh, Willannon and Juleson were, you know, key parts to this group here in Abbotsford, not just as players, but also from a leadership standpoint. Uh, and the intention from myself, but also from the players, uh, they were adamant that whatever happened, how they finished off Vancouver, that they were going to finish off business with their teammates there in Abbotsford. Uh, they'd been with us the entire year to that point. So those two will be in game one tonight. And, and like I said, it, it, it says a lot about our group there when you have players adamant that they go back and finish off business with, with the group in Abbotsford, how tight that group is. Uh, and even Brisebois, uh has been at the facility the last two days and around the guys. And, you know, he's, he's disappointed. He, he can't be, uh, putting on the jersey tonight to go at it with them, but be there and cheering the guys along. So it says a lot about, how close this group is and, and the leadership group that, that kind of holds that standard that we have here every day. Danilo Klimovich had a successful year, uh, ended the season on a bit of a tear, 17 goals on the season, despite, um, you know, just being, just having turned 20, just a few, few months ago uh, from the, from the organization's perspective, what's been the approach of taking a young player that has so many raw tools and, and the approach of, trying to round out that players' 
game without squashing the creativity of the of the player and, and also trying to balance like you want to give a young player an opportunity but it also has to be earned uh, what's been the approach from that standpoint that has worked here well it's been it's been a lot of work i won't lie to you uh, Danila, you said it he's got a lot of great tools um the the things that we've had to really hone in on with him to get him to the next level is one um just helping him mature as a, as a person and a player. Um, he's very hard on himself. Yeah, I think um, in the past, he's, a lot has been self-assessment is based off of whether I scored or not. We had to kind of, we've slowly been chipping away, away at that, getting him to focus on his D-zone awareness, the importance of, of uh, his wall play in his own end, managing the puck at the defensive and offensive blue lines and, knowing that every time he gets the puck is not an opportunity to toe drag and make a play that sometimes you got to fight to live, uh, live another day. And, and he's slowly embraced that. Um, I think our, our coaching staff, our development staff, Daniel and Henrik can, uh, have worked tirelessly with, with him. Uh, and I think one of the biggest influences on Danila and a part of his development has been his teammates. I mean, these guys, we talk about it every day about the quality of teammate you can be to each other every single day you walk in the facility. And I think Danila has embraced that and realized that, hey, I'm, I'm managing this game for my teammates, and that's going to give him a chance to, to use all his tools at the NHL level eventually. Where do you think Nils Hoaglander is at in terms of the progress of his game in the AHL and his potential uh, NHL fit for next season? Because it's interesting from a stylistic standpoint with Rick Tockett obviously coming in uh, on the one hand, Nils plays this tenacious uh, game where he wins battles and, and, you know, can excel in that North South style that um, Tockett seems to be preaching. But then on the other, his, uh, his defensive game was of, of course uh, a bit below par in the NHL and puck management was sometimes a concern. Um, and those are obviously two aspects that Tockett's really trying to improve on. So I'm, I'm fascinated to hear your perspective on um how you view his potential NHL fit for next season? Well, it, 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 I mean, you hit it right on the head. It's, those are things when Niels came here, it, it was, okay, hey, it's not going to happen overnight, but these are the details that we are going to implement and, and we are going to stress with you every single day and every practice, and, and that is going to help get you to a point where, you know, it, he's he's got a fresh set of eyes probably – uh, next training camp where Rick talked and he's got an opportunity to make a, a real good first impression. Uh, but he has bought into that down here. I think week to week, we've seen it slowly improve. And you touched on it, just some D-zone awareness, the wall play of making sure that every puck up is wall, that there, it's managed. There's no risk. There's no, there's no hoping to the middle of the ice. And he's embraced that. Same with a lot of the uh, ozone entries where at times I think he – uh, made some hope plays or some risky plays that end up going back the other way in the back of the net. He slowly, week to week, has, has, has improved on these things. I think he's a much better player now than when he came down and joined us. And I, I think obviously that was not just uh, physically, but was a mental real hurdle for Niels to get over. The time he has spent in the National Hockey League to now take the step back wasn't easy. His attitude has been great. He's bought into the environment and the players and what our expectation is here every day. And like I said, I think it's going to give him a great opportunity to show here in the playoffs, but moving next year into training camp, uh, a fresh set of eyes and, a, and an opportunity to show Rick Tockett that he can do those things that are important to him as a coach. Ryan, I want to get into your goaltending um, first, but I do want to touch on the back end before we get there. And that is, uh, one of the names that really stood out to me in the press conference, you know, we've been kind of waiting for Jet Wu to emerge for a while yet, right? And not everybody's progress is linear. Some take more than others, but it almost felt like this was a really, really critical year. It, and, and maybe that's not fair to say because you see Breezeball and some of these others that have kind of figured it out a little bit later in their career and have been a bit more of a, of a, uh, a meaningful piece of the organization's future at the big club going forward based on what we're seeing now. And maybe that's the case with Jet Wu, right? Because there was a early on when he first came in, he played a big game coming out of junior and it just took some time. But now on Monday, when we spoke to Patrick Alvin, he seemed pretty bullish on Wu in the season he's had. How much of a step has he taken? Well, it's been massive. And, and, uh, 
you know, he was one of those players that, that were affected by the pandemic, in my opinion, coming in in his rookie year at Utica, uh, limited games, limit just a, a very different situation. Uh, and then, and it was a watered down AHL, if you recall, almost gave those guys a false sense of what the American League was. It's like, oh yeah, this is pretty, this, this isn't a bad league at all. Well, you were missing 10 of the best players on that ice in every game. So it was a little bit misleading. Coming into now next last year, a ramped up AHL, and I think there was a little bit of trying to find his identity uh, and what his game was going to be at the pro level. And it was talked about a lot with him going into the offseason. And what he's done is, one, I think his conditioning heavily improved, but two, his reads, his attention to his identity. He People know when he's on the ice, he's a very physical player for a defenseman. He's almost a throwback that you don't see these days. Um, but if you got your head down in the neutral zone, he's not afraid to catch it. Uh, he surfs the middle of the ice as, as good as anybody I've seen in a long time. And he's been using his skating to get up ice and moving pucks and just just his overall decision-making and execution uh, has improved. And the compete, as you guys know, has always been there. It's just been directing it or harnessing it in the right areas. But what a huge step, and especially with Breezeball and Rathbone, Willan and Juleson and these guys that were, were up with our group in Vancouver for an extended period of time. Uh, Jet really took over that back end and was a huge, huge part of the success that we had down the stretch to be able to secure home ice. So what a, what a great year for him. And uh, I'm excited into looking into next year at worst case, uh, we get this, the, to see the opportunity to see him play NHL games at worst, at worst case. And I think he's earned that. Let's talk a bit about your goaltending and first the decision as to who's going to start tonight and play in this series, what your expectations are there, if you're able to divulge. But uh, on top of that, you know, there's a lot of excitement around Archer Silovs, and certainly we know Thatcher Demko is the guy here, but Silovs showed well. He's a young prospect, and, and many people think he's got a chance to, to be a very good NHL player down the road, and there's a bit of debate about what the best path for him next year is. I mean, this organization can't necessarily invest money in a veteran backup to bring them in, and Patrick Alvin said on Monday he's not adverse to having a young player like Silovs play here, but certainly a feeling that he needs more games. And then Spencer Martin who struggled when he was given the ball full-time when Thatcher got hurt, but now seems to have found his groove again down in the American Hockey League. So take us through the, the plan for this series, but also big picture where both these players fit and what you think the right path is at in goal. Well, both both players have been excellent for us here uh, down the stretch, and it's been a healthy competition. We essentially have um, just rotated them night to night. Um, down the stretch it's kept them both fresh it's kept healthy competition they've been pushing each other which is excellent and uh right now that's our our plan to go into the playoffs and continue what has worked for us over the last few months is to keep those guys on a rotation one's in uh one's in one night one's in the next uh but Artie, you look at what he has done at 21 years old um 26 wins our plan going into the season i hope to get him at least you know, 40 to 50 starts. Uh, we've accomplished that. Obviously, he the, the starts that he was able to come up in Vancouver and have and, and do with uh, great success was a huge step for him. Uh, he's one guy that I, I never worry. Uh, he's, he's cool as a cucumber. He's got ice in his veins. And people thought, oh, him going up to make an NHL start. I don't know if he's ready for it. I had no question he was ready for it. He just he, he approaches... Uh, nothing really phases him. He approaches every day just as usual, business-like. And that's what he did when he went up to play in Vancouver. So, I mean, I think we will have a healthy competition, that's for sure, come training camp next year. Uh, and and if, if Artie were to force his way in, then uh, so be it. But uh, And Spencer, he alluded to some, maybe some of the struggles he had when he was given the ball and, and run with it. But uh, after coming down here, he's got his game back uh, and, and maybe even has taken another step. He's been outstanding. Again, a player that has faced what he has the last couple of years um, and really has ran with his model of just controlling what he can control. Uh, he came down here, played excellent, great attitude, uh, great teammate, 
been stopping pucks. So it's certainly a good problem for us to have, having two guys like that that push each other every day in practice, that ding-dong back and forth with starts. And, and they've been a big part of this success and will will be heading into the, into the playoffs as, as both of them uh, we intend to play. Uh, about a month ago, I had a chance to chat with uh, Pod Colson, and he was sort of reflecting on some of uh, his time in Abbotsford. And it was interesting that he told me that he seemingly was working more and, and gained more from just the mental side of the game and, and even referenced working a lot with the Sedins um, more than necessarily even, of course, you know, there were details like wall play, D zone, but he he really felt that the mental side of the game was was a priority in terms of working on it when he was sent down. Uh, can you expand on maybe what that entailed and, and how he grew down there from that perspective? Well, I think the one thing identified with watching him at the NHL level was um, he played a really safe game, played not to make a mistake, which usually ended up in his feet planting and analyzing and being on the right side of pucks. And yeah, do we want that? But uh, a main focus of him coming down to Abbotsford was to get him back on his toes, to get him skating, uh, to get him initiating four checks, contact, not be afraid to, to, anticipate a turnover and take off and and, and uh, create scoring chances that way. So as we moved along and it took some time and Jeremy and Daniel and Henrik and, and all of us uh, talked a lot about him. We, we didn't want to, we didn't want him to play safe, safe as death, like go get on your toes, take some chances. And as we moved along, he started to really embrace that and, and it turned into now creating offense, uh, which I think, we have yet to tap into the high side of his scoring abilities. He can shoot the puck harder than anybody, and it just sometimes he's got he's to be more selfish with it. So when you started seeing him move his feet more, driving wide on defensemen and, and being um, uh, not hesitant to use a shot from anywhere, we started to see a different player. And, uh, you know, that was the hope of – I felt kind of at the end of the season there in Vancouver before he was hurt, he was getting back a little bit to the to the safe and not moving his feet. And something we would have really continued to focus had he had he come down and join us for the playoffs. Ryan, we appreciate you spending the time. Last thing I've got to ask you before we go is I just I want to ask you about Jack Rathbone. And early on, when he was first here under Bruce Boudreau, he it didn't really go that well for him when he came back later in the season, you know, in, in a bit more of a structured environment here. We seem to see a, a little bit of the best of Rathbone. And there's certainly some debate about what his fit in the organization is as a left shot D where Quinn Hughes also is. And they're both somewhat undersized and we've seen what Quinn's able to do. Um, you know, not many people view Rathbone as, as a long-term penalty killer, which is going to be so important for someone that's not the number one left shot D here and what his fit might be long-term in the organization. What have you seen in terms of his improvement this season and, and where he does fit? Well, he really has improved. And I, I think automatically with Jack, people look at, uh, they just look at stats and, and what he was able to do last year. Um, but his, would you say his numbers in the American League aren't as high? But the, for me, that's a good thing. That's, that's him focusing on his D zone, focusing on protecting the middle of the ice. He's defending better. His details just of his box outs, taking sticks and has really improved. He's been killing penalties for us down here. Um, and on top of that, has had a fantastic uh, attitude doing it. So when these guys get down here and slowly continue to improve and get better, and, and Jack knows the focus uh, of his game in the areas that we that we want to improve on, he's got a great self assessment, and so he's you know he, he's growing. He, he's faced a lot of adversity in different situations over the last two years, and. The kid is as tough as nails. He just keeps showing up every day with a smile on his face and going to work. Um, and I think he's he's looking at these playoffs as, a, as an opportunity to take another step and show people that, that he belongs in the National Hockey League. Ryan, thanks again so much for doing this. I know it's a busy day. Game one tonight, Wednesday in Abbotsford. Games two and three. Three, of course, if necessary, is uh, going to be Friday and Sunday again in Abbotsford. Good luck. Hopefully, we, we get you on again later on while you are still playing games in these playoffs. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. That is Ryan Johnson, assistant GM of the Vancouver Canucks. GM 
of the Abbotsford Canucks. And when we come back, we'll dive into the first couple of days of the NHL playoffs, which have certainly been big fun. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Just want to remind you that my appearance in the VanCast today is brought to you by my good friends at Key West Ford in New Westminster. Check out the Mach-E. I am enjoying every minute of that. And breaking news, Harm, breaking news. The Canucks have signed Elias Pettersson to a three-year deal. Like, it's big. This is big. And they got him on a real discount because it was actually ELC numbers. Oh, wait. Yeah. Oh, the other. The other Elias Pettersson. Well, I mean, the price looks great, but three years, I'm sure we would have wanted longer on that. Well, they the, burned the a couple of years of, of unrestricted, free, well, one year of unrestricted free agency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's well, interesting. We got, we, got, we, got them both, we got them both signed. They're both Canucks. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that uh, that's an incentive for uh, for Pedersen now is we got the other one in, in tow now as well. Uh, your, your twin is, uh, is with the organization. He's signed. Apply a little bit of pressure there, but it's fascinating the the timing of, of signing him because I thought that they may bring him over to North America at the end of next season. And look, that could still be the case, right? We saw with uh, Johansson when they signed him uh, to an ELC that they let him go back to the SHL for another season. So it might not change things from that perspective. Uh, in, in fact, now that I really think about it, my guess is he'll still spend next season in the SHL and, and that perhaps hints a how positively they view his development in the SHL this season and, and of course playing well at the World Juniors as well and, and perhaps how confident they are in him as a prospect that at the end of next season he could be ready to to sort of come over play you know play some games in Abbotsford maybe and and their belief that he's d- developing um, on the right path here. Let's jump into the NHL playoffs, and I'm sure most Canuck fans are not necessarily cheering for the Oilers or the Leafs. Uh, so, you know, I, I kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit when the Kings wound up coming back to beat Edmonton in overtime. Edmonton has a 3-1 lead in the third period of that game with eight, nine minutes to go. Uh, they blow that. But truly, when I look at that game, with Connor McDavid virtually invisible, the Oilers were still the far better team in that game as I saw it. And there's no way he stays like that. Like I, as much as Canuck fans might want to see the Kings win, and I I'm not sure that there's still a path here. Obviously, that was a big deal. I'm not sure game one road wins are what they used to be, right, in the NHL. And I know you've got some theories on one goal wins that you want to get into. But certainly last night's, you know, last night was a little more interesting to me because if you're if you follow Seattle sports and seeing Seattle beat Colorado in game one as the visitor uh, and, and full value, um, that was an impressive result in the franchise's first ever playoff game. And then Winnipeg all over Vegas. 5-1, but the coup de grace, the Toronto Maple Leafs falling 7-3 to to Tampa. I can't even begin to hide my um, my pleasure at that. Oh, I I had such a, a wide smile on my face. There was no chance I was missing this game. I, um, I mean, I, I had no idea what to expect, but there was, if there's a chance to see a Leafs playoff meltdown, like that's appointment viewing. <laughs> you know, like that has to happen. Every year, it's got to be on be on the clock. Set a timer for it, and I mean, if it's going to happen, to see it ha- to, just to see it unfold live, uh, to see them get scored on that quickly, all all the preparation and, and all the hype around uh, this being the year that they can finally get past them, and they they're battle tested from Tampa, having uh, having faced them last year and in six consecutive first round losses they've they finally even in terms of law a law of averages have to figure it out this time and they know this matchup has been set in stone for months now um, for them to have on on home ice, home ice that type of complete no-show performance that was um that was really tasty but man I just hope that had been in Chernak come back because if if not that could really really change the complexion of the series. Well, and you know, when you look at this, 
we we all were expecting it to go the other way because you look at Tampa Bay and they were talking about flipping the switch and that's easier said than done. Tampa Bay from February 15th to the end of the season, they were 11, 14 and 1, 91 goals for, 97 goals against. Uh, their penalty killing was uh, around 78%. Then the last 20 road games, 6, 13 and 1, a minus 30 goal differential. Vasilevsky on the road since January 19th, 6 and 8 with a 3, 1, 3 goals against. It was, you know, and when you talk to John Cooper, he just said that, there just was such little motivation for this team at the end. And they do believe, based on what they've done in the past, that they have the ability to flip the switch. And that absolutely showed in this game. And you're right. They do need to get those defend- two defensemen back because that could be uh, a game changer. But wow, 7-3, to three, a slapping, an absolute beatdown. And I know in the playoffs, teams have the ability to emotionally reset after a whether it's a quadruple overtime, overtime loss, or a blowout like that. You know, I always believe momentum and emotion doesn't carry over from game to game. The resilience level of NHL players in the playoffs has always been remarkable to me. But this Leaf team is fragile, and they've a, they're a team that has had no success. And at one point, that's going to break through, but it might not be this time. Just It's so easy for this team to say, oh, shit, here we go again. Yeah, fingers crossed. I'm, I'm expecting... Uh a response from them next game. I mean, I, I don't think they'll go down this season. Fingers easily, crossed. You want them to do well? Fingers no, crossed. Sorry, What's I meant wrong fingers, with you? Like, fingers crossed as in, like, fingers crossed that they don't have that type of response. Sorry, I, I didn't phrase it right. Um, <laughs> fingers crossed that it doesn't go that way. Um, but I am sort of expecting that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm expecting yeah. it. I'm hoping the response doesn't come. But even though... Here's the thing about the Leafs, right? No, no matter... You look at all their playoff meltdowns, They've taken it six or seven games, right? They haven't just For like sure. gone outright swept yeah. and, and that sort of thing. So I'm st- I'm expecting this one way or another still be a, a long series. But hey, we can ho- all hope and pray. I mean, if they go down 2-0, that's a huge hole for them uh, to come to come back from. Night two was a little different than night one. We had three four-goal victories, one-sided games. Uh, not a single one-goal game on night two, but night one, we had three one-goal games, including two in overtime, which... Take us through some of some of your notes because that tends to be a bit more the norm. Yeah, well, I can I can save some of this for for later, just because we've gotten super deep. But just generally speaking, it wasn't necessarily the, the tight games, but for me, the the teams that have been winning so far in these games game ones are generally holding their opponents to, to uh, two or fewer goals. Right? You look at Carolina two one, Boston three one, Minnesota three two. Um, New York winning five uh, one, Winnipeg w- winning five one, uh, Seattle three one. Even the Winnipeg game was, it, it was three one, and then Lowry had the empty netter and, and added another one garbage time. So the point I'm trying to make is, these teams were winning in games where they were able to sort of play a level of of lockdown defense, just because the game also changes in the playoffs, right? You look at the New Jersey Devils, for example. I love that team on paper. I think they have such an exciting future. But it is interesting that they were the most dominant rush team in the NHL in the regular season. You watch game one, they had nothing through the middle of the ice. They had no chance to generate anything in the neutral zone. That's what tends to happen in the playoffs with with the time and space sort of uh, evaporating. You also look at the Florida Panthers last year, the best rush team in the NHL. We saw how their offense sort of dried up. So the point I'm trying to make is you can have an excellent offensive attack, but you also need the ability to... To, to win games where feel comfortable winning a game 3-1, for example, 3-2, 2-1. And that's something that it was interesting. I looked back at, um, say, the Winni- look at the Winnipeg Jets, for example. The Jets, we're not even ta- talking about, in their case, a team that people view as contenders. They won the final wildcard spot, limped into the playoffs. Even them, they had 38 wins this season in which they restricted their opponent to two or fewer goals. And you look at how they beat Vegas on the road in game one. It was an ugly, boring sort of uh, victory where they sort of goaded them into playing a lower event um, uh, style. And that's sometimes how you have to steal a win on the road in uh, in the playoffs. So you contrast that, you know, contrast it to the Canucks. They only had 20 wins this season in which they restricted opponents to two or fewer goals against. So that's nearly half compared to Winnipeg, a team that barely squeaked squeaked into the playoffs. That uh, that's a number that has to go way up, not only in terms of them making the playoffs next season, but down the road in the years ahead, two, three, four years from now. If they if this Canucks team wants to have any level of success in the playoffs, 
that's a level of identity that they have to be able to grow within themselves. They can't just rely on, well, if we're going to win, we have to pump four or five goals against the other team. That's just not going to fly in, in in the playoffs. And um, and I do think that was a that was a fascinating sort of stylistic trend to to notice as we often do in the playoffs. I mean, even Dom uh, Lushishin from the Athletic, of course. He had an interesting study when he looked at um, whether the Oilers are, were legit contenders or not and, and pointed out that, hey, teams, all, all else being similar in terms of talent and rosters on paper, teams that are more offensively oriented don't go as deep as teams that are defensively oriented, uh, which, of course, we've seen when you have underachievers like, uh, or not underachievers, you have teams that are less talented on paper like the Islanders, but they were defensively orient- or oriented under Barry Trotz back-to-back Final Four appearances. Uh, you even had uh, previous instances of sort of Cinderella teams like uh, the Montreal Canadiens with goaltending and um, a strong top four, not a great team on paper, but they're defensively stout. And, and that's how they sort of uh, uh, over overperform expectations. Um, you know, that, that's an interesting sort of sort of uh, trend and, and it's something that I think Rick Talk is trying to implement and is going to be absolutely critical for both the short and long-term development of this franchise. And you talked about Edmonton being that team that, that has improved defensively. Like That was what I thought gave the Kings a chance in the series because of, of how good they've been in that end and the fact that, again, they were able to keep McDavid off the score sheet, still wound up letting him three and need a little bit more than usual for them to pull off the win. Game two in that one goes tonight. Meanwhile, Ron Francis of the 1-0 playoff Seattle Kraken joins Jesse Granger, Mike Russo, and Rob Pizzo this week on the roundtable. So if you're looking for other podcast options, please make sure you tune into that one. And also U.S. Women's Hockey Head Coach John Robluski is Craig Custinson, Sean Gentili's guest on the Athletic Hockey Show USA. And as for us, uh, we will be back next week on Monday. So make sure to tune in for that. You can also get a new subscription to The Athletic for just $2 per month for the next 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. We enjoyed having Ryan Johnson on with us earlier today. Good luck to the Abbotsford Canucks in their playoffs. Harm, have a good weekend, my friend. We will see. Are you going to be in Abbey at all? Maybe further down. I don't think I'm going to be there for uh, for game one, but uh, later in the series, potentially. Yeah, I'm going to try to get there Friday, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we will talk again on Monday, my friend. Have a good weekend. Cheers, you too.